listening to episode 230 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Daigle. Uh, this week, we have Brian Nelson joining us again. It's been a while since we've talked to Brian. Uh, he's made a big move across the country, so he's a little bit further away. Uh, and he is starting in on a new Rails project uh, and looking for some advice. So if you're looking uh, to learn a little bit about how to tackle a problem, we'll talk a little bit this week, and then we'll check in with him a bit more in the next few weeks. Uh, since we last spoke, a new version of Rails was released. I believe it was 5.1.3. Um, so go check that out um, and some of the changes there at Ruby on Rails. This week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored in part by Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super fast 40 gigabit per second network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24 by 7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers 2 gigabits of RAM, 2 gigabytes of RAM, for only 10 dollars a month. Over 400,000 customers trust Linode platform, including us. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Linode has a huge announcement. They are now offering one gigabyte for five dollars a month. High memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes for 60 dollars a month in an upgrade in storage from 24 gigabytes to 30 gigabytes on our two gigabyte for $10 a month plan. To support this show and get a $20 Linode credit on a new account, please visit promo.linode.com slash Ruby on Rails. Again, to get a $20 Linode credit and to support this wonderful podcast, please go to promo.linode.com slash Ruby on Rails. Simple, powerful, reliable. Linode.com. This episode is also sponsored in part by Rollbar. Rollbar has some frustrating things, right, that they are trying to solve, and that is errors. We all have web apps, and we all get errors, and JavaScript errors, and Ruby errors, and Go errors. Uh, With Rollbar's error monitoring, you get full stack trace, context, and user data to help you find and fix impactful errors super fast. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow. You can send error alerts to Slack or HipChat, or you can automatically create new issues in things like Jira, Pivotal Tracker, and Trello. Rollbar has a super cool feature that I love where when you link up your GitHub account, you can see and have links to the actual files that are erroring from the error in the stack traces back to Rollbar. So it really speeds up debugging uh, when you can see exactly where the problem is. We have a special offer for listeners. Please go to rollbar.com slash Ruby. You can sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Rollbar is loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and a lot more. So please go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up, and get the bootstrap plan for free. Thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring this podcast. Now, let's go to the show. I feel like this is different now. I feel like you're 99 milliseconds away the from late, me. I was going to say the latency is... milliseconds <laughs> away. <laughs> Instead of across the state, I'm now across the country. Oh, man. So much can change in a very few months. 
me and Brian had a falling out and he moved away into the cold, dark Midwest. I, c- I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> couldn't take being near me. Yep. So, now so yeah, I'm... you moved since the last time we spoke on the podcast. Yes. Yes. Where, we are, where, where are you these days? Bismarck, North Dakota, the tech hotbed of North Dakota. <laughs> I hear that it's hopping. <laughs> There's no such thing. Um I mean, there's not really a tech hotbed of Connecticut either. That's it's true. A, it's an, it's where I live and where you lived. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's totally true. Um, no, we're, we just moved. Uh, my wife uh, got a job here, and so we re- relocated the family. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> oh, no. No, I mean, moving was fine. I just think moving is very stressful. Um, we did what we could to de-stress that a little bit, but... Uh, Working with a moving company was not the best, and and but all our stuff's here, and everyone made it. So we're in a big house now, and still have a thousand boxes to unpack. But other than that, that's it's my great. favorite part. And you have internet; they have internet. We do. Yep. Actually, I uh, almost had access to gigabit Ethernet. <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> uh, the house we bought needs to be re. Uh, coaxed or something they told me <laughs> yeah and you're a homeowner so now you can enjoy the yep, bevy of enjoyments my responsibility yeah we're and and everything in the basement is finished so it means a lot of ceilings or walls being torn apart so that's nice so instead <laughs> we're at we're at uh uh 120 120 megabits per second or something which is <sighs> respectable Ugh. i think yeah, um, no, I mean, it's fine. But yeah, it would have been nice to have the gigabit. So, yeah, see, the problem, though, with really fast internet is nothing will serve, like, or not nothing, but few things will serve you down that much. I know. Yeah, it's almost like wasted. So, like, I have a Nintendo Switch, right? And I, by the way, you should totally buy a Nintendo Switch. Nintendo okay. Switches are great for fathers or parents or people that have things to do frequently because you just <laughs> drag this whole thing around with you everywhere. But anyway, the important thing is that you buy a game, right? And so, like, if you're familiar with, like, Steam or anything on PC, you buy mm-hmm. a game and it downloads, like, Lickety Split because, I don't know, they, they have more than a tortoise running the server or yep. whatever. But, like, with Nintendo games, you buy the game and it's like, we'll download it in, like, four hours. And you're like, what? Like, I have good internet. <laughs> what do you mean four hours? And You're not really my... selling this very well yet. <laughs> well, no, because well, you don't need to download the games. You can buy them on little cartridges or oh, whatever. Okay, but... so... We're back but to like, that. yeah, but if you're like, if you want to just download a game, but it takes so long to download, mm. and I don't understand why. Sony is the same way, not as bad as Nintendo, but like the same yeah. thing. Like I have such good internet, but you download a game on PS4 and it takes forever. Yeah, but like so, but the, do you like that vocal fry there? The, <laughs> it takes forever. I'm so upset. Um, <laughs> but if I have more internet. uh like we that would theoretically support more devices simultaneously using it right yeah thanks xfinity for that wonderful commercial provided our you know we're actually (laughs) me and and my kid want to (laughs) watch netflix at the same time how much internet do you need one gigabit (laughs) all of it we can (laughs) with our new router that can (laughs) do internets more internet-y yeah we can we can pipe the fiber optics right into your house for a modest fee the the last 25 miles will be coax but let's not dwell on the details (laughs) they actually have to trench retrench the my yard or something for 
coax. Oh, so you need a new line from the Well, box no, of your apparently house. that's not the issue. They did some tests and it's like once it gets into our house is the problem, but but company policy uh dictates that they're supposed to be replacing these uh like ground lines anyway. <laughs> Asbestos laden <laughs> right. coax. And so we're like, "Oh, so um what about sprinklers?" And they're like, "Oh, we just go through them and then they bring replacement parts." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That seems not yeah. like as based on who, the experience I just had today, that doesn't seem like a very efficient yeah, way. To as do someone it. who got a sprinkler system in, yeah. installed yeah. because my yard was just a dirt patch basically when I bought the house. Yep. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just use normal sprinklers. And that lasted for like two weeks before I was like, you know what? This is never going to happen. So I got a sprinkler system installed. Yep. And now the problem is anytime you want to do anything in your yard, it's basically like whack-a-mole. Yeah. And you like dig a hole and you're like, oh, hit a pipe. I yep. guess I have to cut this now. It's it's a huge pain in the butt. Have you actually like spliced stuff together yourself? Do I look like a pipe splicer no, to you? No. Not really. We I, I to- code. I, I, you, you <laughs> water like so. Listen, I would more. I'd be happier rewiring an electrical socket than I would be doing something with water. Yeah, water. Is Electric electricity is places. going on or off. Water can seep. Electricity doesn't seep. It can seep through your body. <laughs> <laughs> in very quickly um, very quickly i wouldn't call that as a seep as speaking much speaking of as water just, the um uh what was the thing i was looking at? we were talking about uh like programmable uh like because you have like a programmable thermostat or a, yes. you know a smart thermostat but they have uh water ones yeah, for programmable water systems whatever and there's one that has a open source api and uh i don't know what I, you would do with that but <laughs> I know what I would do. <laughs> yeah. I will help you build a Rails application <laughs> where I can text you to start your sprinkler system <laughs> from Connecticut. It'll be crowdsourced, like tip five dollars and 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 drench and drench Brian for five minutes. Pay for yeah, there you go. It would pay for the water bill. Yeah, I think I think what you do Ooh. is you set up like a Nest Cam mm-hmm. and and uh, and then have a button you can press to turn oh the sprinklers on immediately. But you have to pay to turn the sprinklers on. You know, it would be great. You point so angle one of your sprinklers onto like the sidewalk, so then <laughs> so when some just random guys your family by, and in-laws yeah. and the UPS delivery yep. person yeah. that oh, would happen. No. To, that would happen immediately. So, but anyway, what have we done? Um, what yeah. Have we so done? joys of of moving in, but we're getting settled. Um, we're we've had excellent weather here, um, and we've been able to go out on the river on the boat a couple times, which has been really nice and. And uh, my wife doesn't start for another couple of weeks, so uh, she's been doing a lot of stuff around the house, like unpacking, which has been, which has been nice. So, hmm. so yeah. Um, what about Success. you? You have you've had some changes. I know. Yeah, <laughs> we've talked on, about I am, them. I am still on parental leave. Nice. Um, uh, kid number two, uh, whose name is Max, is doing well still. Uh, kid number one is uh still adjusting (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way Uh, to put it uh but yeah overall doing doing pretty well but um uh still out of work uh so spending time with family not nice not much coding uh still reading books finishing up uh well i have an idea for you (laughs) oh yeah you have something for me to do (laughs) i think so wait you want something from me i can tell already exactly um Yeah, well, no, since speaking of family, um, yeah, so since we moved out here, um, one of the things that I've been voluntold to help with um, is my father-in-law's uh, business. 
Okay. And so you've been there before. He owns a um, Sporting Clays range. And for those uninitiated, Sporting Clays is... Um, Think Duck Hunt from the original Nintendo. Sort of, but without live animals. Without uh, the ducks, yes. Yeah, so it's clay targets. <laughs> clay ducks. <laughs> and, uh, but his range has a couple different shooting sports. Um, but people come out with their, you know, their shotguns and shoot clay targets. And Or if you're like me and you don't own one... Uh, I was lucky enough to have a very <laughs> kind gentleman there. Your father-in-law helped me out and teach me the safety uh, tips and tricks. And I guess there's really no tricks. It's really just very, uh, it goes from jovial <laughs> yeah. joking to here's a gun. Yeah. We are now very serious and you point it this direction only. Yeah, not yep, not but. towards the people. No, you were, a, I thought you were a, a pretty good shot. I think it's all the video, video games, games, my yep. man. All yeah. those video games. And that totally explains why I'm not great at shooting. Because you're bad at video I'm games. Really bad. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's not. Okay. It's true. But anyway, so he so has, enough about you being bad. Yeah. So uh, his business every year, it's basically seasonal. They do like a couple um, league sports throughout the summer. And in, the, in North Dakota, the summer lasts about six weeks, yep. and then it goes back to negative twenty degrees. That doesn't get that cold all the time. <laughs> um, but the league, the Sporting Clays League is almost set up um, like you could almost think of it kind of like golf. There's 10, instead of holes, you have stations and you go around to the stations and you try to shoot uh, like either four or six different targets. Um, And so uh, at the end of the, each night you've got, I think 50, I should know this because I'm like doing all the scoring for him. There's 50 potential, uh, potential targets every night. And then, there are 10 weeks throughout this throughout the season so your team goes out on like let's say every monday night and they go and do their you know their round of sporting clays um and so what we've been basically working from is a glorified excel spreadsheet it's actually in google docs so this is like an okay. upgrade from the uh from the excel spreadsheet that was on his and out of curiosity <laughs> yeah how long how, how old is this spreadsheet can this spreadsheet vote uh, it, it might almost be that old. Um, I, yeah, I had to, uh, edit it a little bit because he was having issues with, with the way that it was tracking the scores, but it's a little bit more complex than just writing down the number and then tallying it up. Um, essentially what happens is every week, uh, you have, like I said, there's 50 potential targets, but each, um, each team has a, a par, basically a par number. It's almost like a handicap in golf. So par for the league out of 50 potential targets is 46. And what happens is, let's say you shoot, uh, I'm trying to come up with it. Let's say you shoot a 40 one week. Um, The next week, the next week, your handicap would be uh, six. And so whatever you shoot that week, it adds six to your score up to that par number. So you can never go higher than par unless you actually shoot legitimately better than par. Okay. So it's basically a way to kind of like even out the field because you can have some really good shooters and some really not so good shooters or just new shooters inexperienced. Um, and so the calculations get pretty complex because the way that handicap is calculated is it uses your previous two weeks scores and averages that out to apply the number. Um, and then uh, if people miss a week, um, it becomes an issue because the basically because Excel is only as smart as it can be, 
a big zero factors into the score and then your average you, becomes you really like, didn't score particularly well that week. right let's say you get right let's say you got a zero you, you did or, shoot the ground a fair number of times <laughs> yeah but but then your handicap the following week gets super inflated because you had a zero and there was no way in Excel to kind of like discount that zero or at least in that spreadsheet. So we rewrote the spreadsheet, but it's becoming super, uh, kind of unmanageable because there's these, there's teams and there's shooters and there's uh, a schedule where teams play each other each week. And so their score after the week gets compared against another team. And then you have win losses and ties based on that, which I'll give you point values. So um, we're trying to find a way to do a better job of doing the scoring and and reporting it out to the shooters because it's kind of like everyone goes and puts their scores in and then it takes us like a week or two to actually tally everything up because of the kind of convolutedness of it. <laughs> so, so based on the commercials I've seen, I really think you need to talk to IBM's Watson. <laughs> I'm sure that there the, must so there are a couple apps out there that do like some of this stuff, but not he, his his scoring is a little bit unique. Um, so what I want to do is write a Rails app that will uh, oh, do oh this. God. So here's where you come in, and I thought, <laughs> and you know a guy, <laughs> uh, yeah, and um and so I, you know I know how I want it to function and how I want it to look. But the back end part of it is, you know, what's challenging for me and getting everything set up. And, you know, like I've always said that I can find my way around a Rails app, but I don't think I could create one. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so I don't know if that's something that you think would be like a good thing for our, you know, to to kind of talk through maybe a couple episodes, like how you, we would set up the, you know, the controllers and the models and things like that. Um or how you would, if you were approaching this from like a, you know, from a, a freelance perspective, or if I was your client or whatever, how would you go about doing it? So that's yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing here is that you know we so right uh, there. There's kind of a lot of different problems that we would need to figure out in this, you know, and especially coming from. Um, like basically wanting to learn how to program right. or learning, wanting to learn how to program this. Like, I think that's one set of problems that we could probably solve with, you know, a, ver a variety of, you know, sites and off the shelf stuff, et cetera. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we could probably spend uh, some time, you know, next time we chat a little bit about that kind of pointing in the right direction. But I think that, um, I think the interesting thing here is the unique ability for us to essentially use the spreadsheet as unit tests or probably more like acceptance tests, right? Like given some input into this app, the, the, we can check that against the spreadsheet sure. you know, and make sure that the spreadsheet's actually true. And so that's like an interesting thing that most projects don't have because most projects are starting from scratch. Um, right. And they're not and based on like a, I mean, in, in reality, this used to be done by hand. Right. Right. And so he's right. got years of old <laughs> of old score sheets where they're tallying up the handicaps by hand every single week, which so this is at least an improvement over that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that, you know, looking at this, I think the um, the interesting thing will be that, you know, immediately I'm thinking, well, um, this kind of has two problems. I mean, it has a lot of problems, but two problem spaces, I would say uh, one problem space is the scoring. And the scoring can really probably happen just in pure Ruby. Um, you know, you'll need to be able to recalculate a given a score, given a certain input, um, and then store some sort of history so that way you can, you know, look back week to week to see, yep. you know, if there's if there's stuff. But um, 
but the but the score portion can be separate from the history or you know the other functionality the league functionality the player functionality right so the recording score functionality kind of so on and so forth and so i think that you know to be honest like where i would normally look at with this is it's it can kind of be tempting to dive into the rails app first especially in a framework friendly environment where you know oh well, i'll just type rails new and then oh well i need to score i need to you know i have a score so i'm gonna create a model you know yeah. rails new model score or whatever um but I, I really think what would probably make the most sense to be honest is writing the scoring algorithm in ruby like just raw ruby like mm. ruby run a file uh, because in that way you're focusing on the thing that is basically the most important bit right because i'm gonna guess your father-in-law like i know you and me like immediately when you say this like i'm like oh my gosh the page could look so cool it could be like kyle versus brian and like you know i could see our history against each other but you know i'm sure the folks that are actually going to use this while that would be cool like that's not the real benefit they just want the spreadsheet to not suck right and so here's one way we could do that and then down the road you can add new features etc that are cool and interesting right like i mean he's got grandiose plans of like oh it'd be great instead of bringing out the paper scorecard when they go and shoot they can you know they could record it on their phone or whatever and actually just put their scores in as it happens and i'm like all right let's uh (laughs) hold hold your horses yeah but yeah no i i think that that that's the sort of stuff that i think to be honest is what i always sort of went to and i kind of still do a lot of the times i think a lot of other people do too is you you start at the sort of shiny tip of the iceberg side of things Mm -hmm. but i think like if we focus first instead on the meat, you know, on the thing that is going to be the meat and potatoes here, um, which is, you know, does the scoring work? Does the scoring handle the exception cases that we need to handle? Um, And is it perfect? Because to be honest, like being able to enter your scores in, but then having your scores computed incorrectly, you know, which you find out during your third week, let's say, (laughs) uh, would be very bad. Right. Um, Yeah. So the, the good thing, the good thing with that though, is just that like, I think a lot of um, folks coming to Rails uh, or, you know, people who program and, and come to uh, Rails first uh, first thrift sort of don't re- don't necessarily realize where Rails ends and Ruby begins um, mm-hmm. because Rails, you know, sort of like jams its tentacles into Ruby uh, to change the functionality of some yeah, Ruby-based totally. things. Um, I think you've experienced that because I think oh, we've yeah. talked about this in the past, right? Yeah, like the biggest struggle I always had, especially, I mean, even now I still kind of struggle with this, is like I don't know the right place to look for things that I know that I need. You know, like, I mean, like, okay, is it in a Ruby? Is it in the Ruby documentation or is it in the Rails documentation? Or I don't even know the question to ask to get the answer that I want. So it's like I, yeah. you almost need, like, that experienced, you know, dev mentor who's been doing it for a few more years to kind of at least point you in the right direction. Or I know you would always say, what's what, like, what is the question you actually want to ask instead of me trying to figure it out in my brain first and then, and then be totally on the wrong track. <laughs> yeah. Think yeah. I'm being clever. Cause that's never, you know, that doesn't help. Yeah. Don't be clever. No, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think what would be good probably, and I, and I recommend this to a lot of folks is just, like, let's just build a couple of classes, just raw Ruby classes, plain old Ruby objects, Poros, sometimes people say, um, and uh, and start with that, write some tests against that. And then the interesting thing there is that if you start that way, you can keep a good amount of separation. So instead of just sort of littering your application with a bunch of models that have scoring in it, right. you can basically create a little scoring gem for yourself, you know, given this input, here's the score. And then you can use that in your models in a much cleaner way that has a separation that, uh, you 
you know, uh, makes sense and doesn't sort of leak the scoring in in case eventually, let's say, um, I don't know, uh, maybe there's like a, I don't know, a stand and shoot. What's the version of a sit and go? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> in, in your world i don't know yeah. like let's just say there's like a tournament scoring or something right. you know that's like something special uh your entire application can continue to work the way it should because you're just going to swap out this one right um, and, the, and, and this you is know, kind of very boringly object-oriented programming stuff but it's something that sometimes you can can forget in the excitement of wanting to sort of you know bring to market this really cool new piece of functionality or app right or and that's what is sort of you know that's kind of the thing that i think would will be interesting for me to see how that will work because you know like so much of this right now it's very difficult for me to to see this excel formula you know or whatever which is like a, yeah. a whole collection of if statements uh and and see how that will translate to ruby um because it's so you know it's so tied into exact like it, it needs to have the exact format and it's expecting a certain amount of weeks and if it do, if it doesn't work like that then you get that divide by zero error or whatever so so it'll be cool to see how this you know how this will kind of translate to that um and the other thing that i think will be interesting to me and and you know maybe some of our users probably or users some of our <laughs> listeners maybe. probably a lot of our listeners are are a lot more well versed than i am but the the testing aspect of it because um that is that concept, you know, like I understand why tests and, and, you know, what they're for, uh, but it's something that I never really delve into cause I don't have to. Um, so it's interesting to me. It'll be, I think good to see how that's kind of written from, you know, from the beginning. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I mean the sort of logical way, at least I, I think about it is essentially, um, you can write code and and basically just you know see the result and go okay great like this is this works for me i'm going to move on to the next thing but mm -hmm. when you have tests especially in something like this where um you know one piece of data one input is going to change a lot over time is that you can make sure that you know you're not sort of adding side effects as you go on and so when you write a test that says you know if i'm off for a week my score shouldn't be zero or my handicap the next week shouldn't be, you know, Gigantic. greater than whatever, right. you know what I mean? Um, and so then as you go, you know that, um, that one thing that you're worried about won't change because it's possible that the rest of it will look correct and you'll just not remember to sort of think, Oh, I should look at this thing. But to be honest too, I mean, you get a lot of safety and you get a lot of, you know, ability to make sure that, uh, you aren't breaking the entire thing every time you make a change. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in, in some other ways, like some folks uh, use them essentially to build specifications, right? Like to say, mm -hmm. you know, I want my application to work like this. And when I do this, this should happen. And then they go and they implement the test later when they're ready. Um, and so our spec and more behavioral uh, style testing frameworks can sort of focus on that as well. So I think there's a lot of different reasons, but um, I, I think folks coming into rails can at time get stuck in the dogma of you know write tests like tdd write tests right. then write code and move forward and i don't think it needs to be like that i think tests are basically just a way for you to um protect yourself but also to um state the functionality that you're hoping to build so that way when you build it you're getting the actual functionality in a way that is like you know runnable over and over and over again to ensure that you're not you know um, regressing or adding right. a bug as you go right so where do we so, yeah, start? I think I know. I think uh, let's let's. So why don't we uh, why don't we take a look at the the spreadsheet? Um, 
and uh, start writing some Ruby code and we can kind of report back on the process and see, uh, you know, what you learned and what sort of worked well for you, um, you know, and, and, and report back uh, when we have you on in the next couple of weeks. That sounds super. So I, uh, changing gears a little bit, I was reading a blog post recently and um, they were saying that they switched to the ligature fonts that you were talking about eons ago and they just can't live without them now. They were absolutely the best. Was it uh, uh, um, because of hearing it on the podcast? It was because of you. Yeah. No, it wasn't because of you. It was something else. But. What? <laughs> oh, man. But I'm curious. So are you still using them or are you? Uh, yeah, I am actually. But, I, but like these days I'm doing less and less coding. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think I've kind of gotten used to them. Uh, like the, the, the kind of weird ligatures when you're actually looking at so yeah just in case folks didn't listen why don't you oh. quickly just give a once over oh, yeah. what what's they the are name doing? of the font now uh hold on i have this fire code okay um and basically uh a ligature in the typographic sense is when you uh when the type designer the person who makes the font actually combines um letter combinations for a more pleasing uh, aesthetic ex- uh, uh, appearance. <laughs> so what's a good example? So, um, okay, so like uh, the Greek word etna, is that Greek? Italian? Et- etna? I don't know. A-E-T-N-A. They, sometimes they'll combine the A and the E. Um, or another good example is like a double T. Um, if you look in like an old printed uh, like paperback book that you might have, uh, chances are it's going to have some ligatures on those like double letters like TT or FT. Um, just because if there weren't any, the letters would have to be too far apart and it would look kind of abnormal um, or they would blend together in an ugly way. So they actually create, you know, TT as its own special character in the font so that when you key that in, it, it replaces it with the ligature instead of and just And so like the, another example in in like more programming senses would be like equals equals. Right. And what it does becomes one in, character. Right. And fire a code. I mean, so from a uh, uh, from a like programming perspective, it's not actually changing the characters themselves. So if you were to copy and paste into like a regular text editor or whatever, it would still be two equal signs. Um but it just makes it look nicer on screen um, because fonts can do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it would it for equals equals it you know it just makes like a super long equal sign. Um, and there's a couple other ones like uh, like you know less than equals or equals greater than, um, which okay. you know we use a lot in in Rails. And you're still uh, you're still digging it. Still your yeah, thing. no, I actually because I, I like I do most of my typing, whether it's for like not even just coding, but like typing now in Atom just because I'm used to it. And so it's I, I don't know. I just like how it looks a lot. So I've got it set on all my <laughs> all my different atoms because I have like the, <laughs> like three different computers at this point, which is a long story. But um, so wherever I go, if it's not there, it's it's a little it it takes me a minute. Oh, okay. I have like uh, slight digression, but I have like two computers, and I absolutely hate this thing. The the fact that there's two, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't handle. I know this is like very much like I feel like it. (laughs) Well, well, to be clear, like it's basically like I have like one that's for work and one that's not, and like you know, and the lines can get blurry sometimes, like you know, because one's a desktop and one's not, but. Same here. Yeah, it's not like I bought nine computers (laughs) and I just can't (laughs) fathom how hard it is. 
how do people not you yeah no i'm in the same boat and uh yeah so what's been actually challenging for me is trying to like there's no great way i don't think to make all your computers like behave the same you know yeah. what i mean like there's no like yeah, I have a sync sc- service I have a script that basically, or not a script, but I have some like um, folder links that allow me to share Atom across multiple computers. Oh, that's so my cool. settings. Yeah, so um, I'll have to dig up a blog post. But basically, what happens is my oh. uh, Atom settings are stored in Dropbox. So like and the I use a link. .yaml or whatever the file is. Yeah, I forget exactly what it is, like app settings or yeah. something like that. That is in Dropbox, and so uh, I just point all my computers with a little bit of manual code to do that. And that's then, pretty clever. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it, and then that way your settings are the same at least. Yeah, smart. Yeah, that's what you get for being a nerd. And I know. Not, yeah, not well, smart, it's worse for me because lazy. like when I was doing a lot more kind of like print graphic design and things like that, there were uh, a, I had a lot of fonts <laughs> all the time, <laughs> and uh, that's like one of the things that like not so much anymore, but back in college, it would really slow down your your like startup time for apps if you had like, you know, two or 3,000 fonts active all the time. And so they had font management apps that you could actually activate and deactivate fonts on the Mac. And, um, and so, you know, nowadays I run with a very, just basically like the system fonts. <laughs> and then I have a Dropbox folder where I have shared fonts between other computers, but but uh, yeah, it's not so much an issue anymore with it, like all the solid state drives and things like that. The apps pretty much start up uh, like pretty fast. But even like Photoshop sometimes will take a while if it has a lot of, a lot of fonts to load. Um, hmm. But anyways, uh, well, that's exciting. I'm glad other people are. Yeah, FireCode, I, I, check it out. I think that's what I said last time. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. Um, uh, I I installed it after that I read that blog post because you did not convince me. Um, <laughs> and I'm, uh, but I, well, I, if someone else said it, <laughs> Brian must know what he's talking about a little bit. Exactly. Um, so I, I will have to see I, uh, once I get a little more coding in. Um, I'll have to see kind of how it how it does for me. Yeah, give it a shot. It's good. What is really actually uh, like the model files are I think the worst. Just for the, wait, uh, what do you mean? Like when you open up a like just a regular like you know like a Rails model .rb like file, it for some reason it those just seem to be affected the most. Like the um, like the method names and stuff, or or like the, it, there's just interesting ligatures in there that tend to that tend to crop up, and you're, if you're not used to it, you're like, oh, uh, whoa, okay, but it doesn't take long. Gotcha. Anyways, um, what's going on at work? Anything uh, interesting? Lots of stuff. Uh, <laughs> you said you weren't coding as much as before. No. Well, so I took a bit of a hiatus while we were moving, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was nice, but I was checking in here and there. But yeah, no, it's um, a lot more um, you know, UI and UX work these days, which involves more on the design side. Um, but I get to interface a lot with the with the engineering team, which is good. <laughs> Don't ever say that that way. Interface with the engineering you team. Don't interface with human beings, okay? Well, when you're I doing interface with individuals frequently. Are you Borg, Brian? I am a robot. <laughs> that's pretty funny. No, that's uh, good. That's good. I mean, um, I, it's uh, 
it, it's always interesting to hear like you know chatting with you just how the, the the flow and process of development is different when you're either designing first right or mm-hmm. um you know deal, dealing with sort of the realities of things in in the design yeah awesome um got anything big going on in the next couple of weeks before we get to chat again um a five-year-old birthday party oh boy yeah Oh boy. Yeah. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to ask you questions? Uh, Twitter, uh, it's Brian Nelson. Awesome. All right, let's do some coding and we can come back and you can report how you thought it went and what you learned and, um, and, and maybe people can give you some <laughs> feedback gonna... already uh, about learning Rails by hitting you up on Twitter. Sounds good. Good luck. <laughs>